Welcome to the Alliance Bible Church Podcast. We exist to be a healthy community, living and sharing the good news of Jesus with neighbors and nations. So our scripture this morning is Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. And I can give you a minute to turn there if you want. So Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Um, So today, we're actually looking to the Old Testament to look at the New Covenant, which is the coming of Jesus, the promise he brings, and the redemption for our sin based on his work for the cross. The word the New Covenant appears in the Old Testament here in Jeremiah 31. Um, And it's interesting that um, God has built up to this New Covenant promise through that list of old covenant promises he made over and over and over again with his people, Israel, and they broke them and they broke them and they broke them and they broke them. And finally, here we are in this spot in the Bible where God's making a promise, hey, there's going to be a new covenant. It's going to be the fulfillment of all the old covenants. But guess what? When he announces that in the Old Testament, it's still going to be like 500 plus years until that comes. So we're picking up this scripture today in a period of history when God is making a promise to the people of Israel, but yet they still have to wait. They still have to wait for that fulfillment. They don't know when it's going to come. They don't know how it's going to come. We'll see in the Gospels that they actually don't get it right in terms of the Pharisees thinking about what Jesus looks like and and his presence in Israel and what that means for their future. They don't get a lot of it right, but they're in a period where they know God has made them a promise that it's coming and that it's gonna be glorious. And that scenario kind of reminds me about where we are, both as a church looking forward to an upcoming process and as a Christian community here in Advent, waiting for Christmas to come. It's interesting, as we look into our world, we could say there's a lot of promises that get broken in our world, right? I mean, the best statistics I read say, you know, 40 40 to 50% of marriages don't don't end with that couple together. They end in divorce. And that's a painful fact. There's a... um, our political climate as well. There's a lot of promises that are made by our leadership that let's just say are not bathed with overwhelming integrity. 
Um, in recent years, numerous corporations have been found to be not representing themselves well to either their customers, their employees, or their investors. Just, just curious about this room, if I could see a show of hands, who here has ever made a New Year's resolution? <laughs> who here has never broken a New Year's resolution? There we go. That last one's kind of a lighthearted point, but even the promises that we make to ourselves sometimes can be difficult to follow through on. That's one of the neat things about God and his promises is that he always follows through. And one of the unique things about our Bible as a piece of spiritual literature is that it makes promises. The word for some of those promises is covenants. We see them dotted through the Old Testament. My first point today is that Christmas represents a covenant. Christmas represents a covenant. That first verse, 31, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. God is making a promise. I want to start from the beginning and kind of explain a little bit about what a covenant is not. Okay? A covenant is not a contract. A contract is described as a legally binding exchange of promises or agreement between parties that the law will enforce. Contract law is actually based on a Latin phrase. I'm going I'm to try my best with this one, but it's pacta sunt servanda. And that means pacts must be kept. But in the Bible, the word covenant refers to these solemn agreements between God, the Israelites, and sometimes specific people. One example, looking back to Genesis 15, is God's covenant with Abraham. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 7, God says, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur and the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Abraham said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess this? Right off the bat, Abraham's like, I live in a world where promises are broken. How do I know this is going to be real? God says to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these things, and he cut them in half. He laid each half against each other, but he did not cut the birds. When the birds of, so he left these animals out open. Back in the day when you made a covenant, What they did was they cut an animal in half and two people walked between the animals together signifying if somebody breaks that covenant, this is what's gonna happen to you. We're gonna cut you in half. Like it's a serious promise. That's not the the pinky promise or the yeah bro, I'll show up on Friday night. Like this is a promise you don't wanna break. You don't wanna be late to this. Whatever you agreed on, don't do it. The interesting thing though is we see in this passage While Abraham is waiting for God to show up to walk with him through the animals, Abraham falls asleep and he wakes up to see God with a smoking pot walking through the animals on his own. What that signifies is although Abraham is not able to stand up and hold his end of the covenant up on his own, God is going to both uphold his end and he's gonna work through Abraham to uphold Abraham's end. While Christmas doesn't carry the connotation of a cut animal like you better get me some good presents, all right? 
I think it does carry with it that kind of power of God, both promising to bring the joy of his presence in our life and to uphold us in our efforts to meet him. My second point is that Christmas is a gift for us. Christmas is a gift for us. Verse 33 says, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel, that after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And here's the gift. I will be their God, and they will be my people. See, the the Old Testament is a story about first a couple of people, then a group of people, then a nation waiting for a redeemer. Somebody who was going to liberate them. They would have a prophet to teach them, a king to lead them, and a priest to minister to their needs. Advent is a season that, kind of like the Old Testament Jews and how they should have been looking forward to Jesus with open-eyed anticipation, like the wide-eyed chair of a stare of a child on Christmas looking at those gifts. Advent is specifically for us to be prepared for those gifts, the meaning that they bring to our lives, and how they shape our future. See, we're blessed enough to have witnessed this gift in the writings from history, right? We know Jesus came, he had a birthday. We refer to this birthday all the time. Every time you write a check, you write down what today is, 1215, 2019, that's 2019 years after Jesus, right? We have a marker in history. We have a redemptive story that we carry around with us, and some of us try to read this every day. We're able to look back at the prophecies and see them fulfilled. In a way, in a way, we have more of this gift available to us than even the folks who are receiving the Jeremiah's promise firsthand. And Christmas is a time for us to celebrate that. You know, one of the names for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Yet even during the holidays sometimes, when we're talking about Jesus, preparing for Christmas, doing our holiday shopping, coming to church more often, having summit meetings, thinking about Jesus, sometimes it can seem like Jesus is less present. If we look at statistics across our country, rates of depression and even suicide go up during the holidays instead of down. Maybe in, maybe in life we've walked through a divorce or absentee parents or felt abandoned. Everyone has faced the pain of rejection in some way. You may have been the victim of prejudice, been ostracized for your faith, And if any of that's happened to you, I'm sorry. But rest assured, God has not abandoned us. Paul's response to these things in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also Give us all gracious things. Since God was willing to give up his son for our well-being, won't he give us all these other good things as well? My third point today 
God's gifts will be the best gifts we ever receive. God's gifts will be the best gifts we ever receive. See, the Jews, while they were waiting for a Messiah, they walked through a bunch of trials, right? And sometimes our Advent season can look like that. Walking through a bunch of stuff as we wait for Jesus and as we wait for this future. In light of our Christian culture, our regular church meetings, our accessibility to scripture, our circles of friends and our small groups, we can lose sight of how powerful it is to have direct access to the creator of the universe. It's interesting, I read a newspaper article recently, a guy named Justin Sun. He's a cryptocurrency entrepreneur from China. He recently spent $4.5 million to purchase a lunch meeting with Warren Buffett. $4.5 million. See, Warren Buffett is one of the world's most successful investors. When he gives his annual report, sometimes it affects investments across the globe, affects his stock price, stock market. And it's cons- this man considered his wisdom so important that he spent $4.5 million for a three-hour lunch. I st- being maybe a little bit of a seminary nerd made me wonder, like, shoot, how much would lunch with Jesus cost me? Like, <laughs> like if, if I had to pay for that, <laughs> how much is that going to run me? Am I ever going to get there, Lord? The interesting thing about Jesus, that meeting, way more than four and a half million dollars. But the good news, it's already been paid. It's interesting to think about that meeting, that presence with Jesus as the best gift ever. Like the video talked about a little bit. I mean, all we've done in terms of that covenant is forsake our end of our promises here on earth, harmed one another, mistreated his creation, broken intimate connections with him, and sometimes, let's be real, lashed out at loved ones or gotten frustrated and not want to be intimate with them. That's our end of the deal. Think about, if you went to your parents with that list of behavior, how would they reward you growing up, right? Instead, what does Jesus do? He redeems us and plans a huge party in heaven. See, God's love for us is so unconditional that he loves us regardless. He loves us regardless of our performance. He loves us regardless of our moods. He loves us regardless of our actions or thoughts. And even despite those things, the God of the universe most wants to spend time with you and share the most glorious things in all of creation. He is the greatest Christmas gift ever. And pregnant in this season is anticipation of his coming. Although I like the idea of Christmas presents, it's kind of funny that so many folks across the world 
look at the presence under the tree as the real gift, when the real gift actually hung on a tree. My fourth point today is Christmas is about the gospel. Christmas is about the gospel. It's been said to show, to show grace is to extend favor or kindness to one who, can, who doesn't deserve it and can never earn it. Receiving God's acceptance by grace stands in stark contrast to earning things on the basis of works. That would make all of our Christmas gifts all about grace. A pastor once told the story of how he was waiting for his wife out in a shopping mall in a hot car with their young three-year-old strapped into a car seat in the back. The kid, after being frustrated by the heat and being stuck in this car seat after a while, hung her head out the window and started yelling, God, please get me out of this! In the middle of the parking lot, the poor distressed pastor was obviously a public figure in the community and wrought with lack of excitement about that event. What that little girl is doing, though, is she's calling out for a savior. She needed someone bigger than herself to rescue her from her predicament. You ever been in a life, life situation like that? Let me tell you a secret. We all have. Maybe you're feeling that way this Christmas. Like there's some predicament in life. Don't you want to lean your head out the window and say, God, get me out of this. It's interesting though, Israel was in that same predicament looking for a Messiah, looking for someone to get out of this. But interestingly enough, Israel made a theological error in what they were looking for. See, not unlike some of our churches today, Israel was at a place where they were looking for a man to get them out of where they were. When Jesus came, they thought he was gonna be the king and the ruler. And he said, no, I'm going to be a suffering servant. He did not let them make him king. What Israel made the mistake to do was they didn't look for the presence of God to give their redemption. They looked at a man to bring it. There's surrender in that process when you have to rely on God to do something for you. And instead of coming and being king and helping you reign in power, he wants to teach you to live a life of surrender. You need a savior and you need a covenant to support you in that. See, a covenant is far more loving and intimate in a contract. It's a stunning blend of law and love. There's language of love and intimacy but yet it's a binding relationship all the more desirable because it's from God and it's made out of love. It's a relationship that will have a sense of mystery 
on this side of eternity as to all the nuances of how that works. But especially in this season, it's a mystery that God is calling on us to explore. In light of all of this, all of this covenant promise, all of this power that God gave us on earth as we choose to live out our lives as suffering servants seeking his face, we can see Advent for what it really is, a powerful liturgical season that invites us to pause in silence and seek his presence. It's an invitation to understand the events of this day are hints that God is giving us um, his love and they're signs of the attention that he has for each one of us. The power of the things that he's done through history, the unique ways he showed up in our life, the covenant promises, his presence to save us and be our savior through event and challenge and life space over and over and over again. Point to his specific and individual love for everybody in this room. A couple things we can think about this week as we prepare for Christmas. We can grow our awareness and think about our need for him to be our savior in every area of our life in our personal lives, in our corporate lives, in our relationships. We can come to pray about and think about the grandness of God's redemptive love. There's nothing quite like it. The story of how the creator of the world made promise and promise and promise and came came to the earth to fulfill it. The fact that he would do that for a wayward people and how that points to his almighty graciousness. And the last thing we can do is be praying about and looking for with anticipation of God's action in both human history and in our own. This is a very unique covenant and it's made for us. The gospel is this, God put us on earth And through our own sin and shortcoming, we were unable to live out life here the way that we'd like and the way that he built for us. But yet in our failures, he will step in and meet us there every single time. As we go today, I'm gonna pray us out. But if I could encourage you today, let the gospel be center and present to your Christmas season, whether it's shopping or family time as as fun or as stressful as that is for you, whether it's running from event to event, don't miss the reason for the season. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for blessing us, Lord. You are gracious and mighty. You've given us a whole season to prepare for your coming, to think about your love, and Lord, to be honest, we need that. It's more immense than we could ever think of or grasp in our minds or in all you've given us here on earth. So Lord, help open our minds and our hearts to that reality that we may come to enjoy you more, seek you more, love you more, and let your will reign all the more in our life. In your precious name, amen. Thank you for checking out the podcast today. We hope you've enjoyed it. For more information, you can visit alliancebible.church.